we might know the things freely given to us by God. These things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, which is what so much of the church does, but in things, but, but uh, man speak, comparing, but the, but the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. So Paul's saying there, and this is why it's hard to try to explain spiritual things to people that aren't saved. They don't have the capacity to receive it. It's like trying to receive, you know, in this room right now, there are radio signals, there are television signals, uh, even though most of it's cable and streaming now, but they're still in the air, but you and I can't hear them because we see them because we're not, we don't see or hear that level. But if you have a radio, you can pick up whatever those channels are, if you turn it to the right receiver. But if you have an AM radio and you're trying to get an FM signal, you can't do that. It doesn't have the capacity, literally, that's the term. It doesn't have the capacity to pick up those signals, and that's what Paul's saying here. God, what's, what God has in his heart are spiritual things, and they're communicated by the Spirit, and only people who have a, a Spirit in them can pick them up, can discern what's being communicated which is why we can't get so caught up in our mind in the things that God is trying to, trying to show us. Okay, so that's what we're looking at right now. We're looking at God. What does what your word say? What, what is the Spirit already telling us that's in your heart? So he's saying here that this, one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to search the depths of God the Father's heart to reveal to us the things that are in his heart that he wants to freely give us, that he wants to freely give us. All right, let's begin to look at some of these. And to do that, we're going to go to Ephesians. I want to start in Ephesians chapter, um, chapter 3. Verse 8. To me, who am the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I want to let that term sink into us. I looked that up in the Greek and it means there's no limit to it. The unsearchable riches that are in Christ. So Paul is telling the the church here at Ephesus that the things that are in God's heart that God has for us, there's no limit to them. This is what God's given to us in Christ. It's not just what the potential is that's out there and he only shows us part of it. There is the, the riches that have been given to us in Christ are unsearchable. There's no limit to them. So that tells us, again, just as in developing a relationship, that relationship, as long as you continue to nurture it and take care of it, there's no limit to where that can go. Well, there's especially no limit to this relationship with God through Christ. And he's telling us here that the things God has for us unsearchable doesn't mean you can't find them. What it means is there's no limit to them. You're not going to search out the end of them. And so he's telling them here, the things that God has for you that are in Christ are unsearchable, unlimited. I've said this many times before, but it's helped me to understand. See, religious teaching wants to put limits on what we can expect from God. It wants to put limits on what God's willing to do for us because after all, he's God and we're just worms down here and we're just, you know, barely getting along and we're so thankful that God has saved us through Christ and we have heaven to look forward to but we really can't expect anything down here and, and, we, and God surely couldn't expect anything of us because we're so feeble and so, we're, so weak and the result is the church has really bought into that even much of the word, even much of the charismatic Pentecostal church, although they're a little more open-minded than the more conservative parts of the church. But we put limits on what, on what God would use us and how God would use us. But I always go back to, if, I want to know, if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus, because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, to, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that he's the exact representation of, of the Father's nature. So in order to see how God thinks about situations, we just need to look at God in the flesh and see how he exhibited it. 
And looking at this issue of what the limits are, I don't find anywhere where Jesus criticizes his disciples for, for believing for too much. When Peter got out of the boat, well, when, first of all, when Peter said, if that's you, bid me to come, Jesus didn't say, now, Peter, now you're pushing the limits here. God didn't intend you to do these kind of things, so you better stay in the boat because that's where you've been, that's your place. He didn't say that. And so when Peter and Jesus said, come, Peter gets out on the boat. He does what no man's ever done before. And to my knowledge since then, but he did what man cannot do. He broke through the limitations and experienced something that his eye had not seen, that his ear had not heard, nor had it entered in Peter's heart that he could walk on the water that he'd been in boats on his whole life. But he did it. And then we know the story. When he got distracted by the wind and the waves and they reminded him he couldn't do what he was already doing, he began to sink. That's always an interesting idea. How do you begin to sink? But anyhow, he did. Jesus takes him back to the boat and then Jesus, and I know I've said this before, but I'm going to go over it again. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, I really applaud you for trying. You know, nobody else got out of the boat. You really stepped out, and you, you, I applaud you for at least trying. No, he rebuked him. He said, how could you doubt? Why did you doubt? That tells me that in, in the mind of God, in the mind of Christ, doubting that he could walk on water was unreasonable. What was reasonable in Christ's eyes is that Peter could do that. So he was stretching Peter's limit of what he could imagine he could do. And this is where we are. We live in the, and, and here's, and I'll, I've shared this before, and I want to develop it further. I can't do it tonight. When God created man, Adam, he gave him the same capacity he had to see and understand things. That's why he put him over the whole earth to be fruitful, multiply, and to tend and take care of the earth. When, when they chose to eat that fruit, what they really chose wasn't the fruit. They chose to, to re- elevate and rely on their own understanding of right and wrong and what was possible. They chose human understanding to be their God and rejected obedience of the God who, who was limitless in what he could do. And so when, when, the, when all those disciples are in this boat, and remember, it's dark, it's, it's the middle of the night, it's about, I, think it's the, I think it's about the third watch, and it's stormy. And they see something moving out on the water, and in the midst of the clouds and the wind and the waves, they begin to realize it's something out there. And so it, it, what, human, what we do is we take what we experience and we run it through the, re, the, the computer of our, of, our, of our human brain and find out if there's something that matches that to give us understanding. And so that's what we all do that. And that's what they were doing. And when, when they see him on the water, what they're running through their computer, well, first of all, their computer understands man can't walk on water, so it can't be a man. So the only thing else they can conclude is it must be a ghost. So the fact that their response to what they saw was that it must be a ghost is, is, the, is the fruit of man's fallen reasoning and understanding. And we live within the limits of what we think is possible. And with our scientists and our great learning and understanding, we've expanded what that is. But nowhere's near the beginning of what God knows is possible. Oh, that's why, that's why Paul writes, because and, and you're able to do exceedingly abundantly through, through this, uh, exceed, I'm getting so excited, exceedingly abundantly, I want this to sink in, that now under he was able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or think. Oh, that's great, God. No, through the power that's in you. So God's saying, I've created in you the power and ability to do things that are exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or think. So at the end of what you can ask or think, at the end of our human understanding of what's possible, that's where God begins. And that's where he wants the church to come to. Because eye is not seen, ear is not heard, 
nor is it entered to the hearts of men. All that God has prepared for those who love him. Okay, that's just the first verse. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make us all see what is the fellowship or the sharing of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ. To the intent, look at this, to the intent that now the manifold or many-sided wisdom of God might be made known by the church. So God wants something known about his many-faceted wisdom by the church to whom? The principalities and powers in heavenly places. So God wants to use the church to prove something to those spiritual beings in heavenly places. The church. Well, we're not going to do that the way we've always done church. Well, the only thing we're teaching them is how to fight and how to squabble and how to be envious and jealous, which is what they were doing. All right, we've got to move on. According to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, don't lose heart at my, at my tribulation. So let's look at some of these things, because this is in chapter 3. So let's go back to the beginning of this. This is where I was originally going to just go through here, but this began to grow in me. Let's go back to chapter 1 and start in verse 3. We're going to walk through some of this and see how far we get. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. He's not talking about heaven now. He's not, this, this whole chapter, in fact, the book, is not talking about what we're going to do, get in heaven, because the church has relegated so much of this to that, and Paul is talking to the church now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Now, spiritual blessing there does not mean the thing is spiritual. It means a blessing communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. So we can read that, uh, blessed us with every blessing delivered to us by the Spirit in heavenly places in Christ. Let's look at some of them. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame in love. So the first blessing we see is he's made us righteous, he's made us whole, he's made us holy and without blame before him in love. This is in him he has. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons. So the next blessing that he's communicated to us is we're not just been made righteous, we are now his children. We're brought into his family through Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It's not we talked him into it. This was a, And the, 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 the Greek word according to good pleasure is a word that implies a passion of emotion. So he was passionate about, well, we know the passion of it because we can see the passion of it of who he put on that cross so he could have us. How much, we're, how much we're worth to him. The good pleasure of his will. To the, go, keep going. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We could take any one of these verses and spend a whole night on it. In fact, there's a, a, a Puritan writer back in the 1600s named Thomas Goodwin who wrote, I don't know how many, like 26 volumes on Ephesians. He's got one whole volume on Ephesians 2.4. One whole book on Ephesians 2.4. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of grace, which he made to abound towards us. I like the New American Standard. He says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and prudence. Keep going having made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good, good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he may gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth in him. So he's going to gather them all together. There, he sees them as one. Keep going. In him we have obtained an inheritance. So you're going to see in here there's two inheritances. The first one here is we have obtained and inheritance. In Romans 8, it says that we are joint heirs 
with Christ. We've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Keep going. I want to get somewhere. We have first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. Keep going. In whom you trusted and heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And elsewhere he says the Spirit of God, we know of all this, was given to us as a guarantee. Arabon is the Greek word, which means engagement ring. It's a pledge. It's earnest money. Keep going. Next verse. Therefore, I also, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for all the saints, this is what I wanted to get to, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is his prayer. There are a number of Paul's prayers in these letters, but this is his prayer we're going to look at tonight. And then if we have time, which we probably won't, another one. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Stop there again. Second. There again, he's saying the same thing we saw in 1 Corinthians. He said, I has not seen, ears not heard, nor is it into the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love him. But the Spirit's been given to us to search the depths of his heart and reveal these things to him. Now, I'm sharing this with you because I've, I've read this verse hundreds of times. I've preached these verses hundreds of times. I've meditated on these verses hundreds of times. But the other day, the Holy Spirit arrested me as I was going through it. He said, you're, you're straining to understand this to get it in your heart. And it's not going to come by your effort to understand. It's going to be as you trust me to do just what he's saying. Paul's prayer is that the Holy Spirit, would, would give, God would give to them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So these are the things that the Spirit of God wants to reveal to us. That means not to our mind, down in our heart, where he talks about the enlightenment. We'll keep going. And what is it he wants? That the eyes of your understanding, some translation says, that the eyes of your heart being enlightened. That's when something dawns on you, not in your head, when you say, yeah, yeah, I got that now. But it's like, oh, oh. That's when the eyes of your heart suddenly got, the light got turned on and you were enlightened. And you begin to see something that's always been there. Because to enlighten you doesn't put it there. Enlightens you and suddenly your eyes are open and you can see something you didn't see before because your eyes have not seen, your ears have not heard, nor has it entered into your heart some of the things that God had prepared for you. But Paul's praying basically the same thing for them that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that their eyes of their heart would be enlightened. What? That they would know what is the hope of his calling. I've always read that as, well, yeah, when we get to heaven, that's the hope of our call. But your calling's here. And hope means, the biblical hope does not mean like we use hope. We use hope as like, oh, are we going to have a good, are we going to have a, you know, a light winter? I hope so. No, this means a confident expectation that he would enlighten our eyes that we would have a confident expectation of his calling for us. He's not just talking about heaven. He's talking about his calling for us here. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints? For years I read that again. Stay, Stay there, verse 18. I always read that is, is talking about the inheritance that we're going to have. That's not what this says. It's very clear in the Greek. What this is talking about is that we would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us. We are his inheritance. And what are the riches of the, riches of the glory of his inheritance? Now go to verse 19. And what is the exceeding... Look at the, look at the superlatives that he talked. He's talking about the lavishing upon us the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. The exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. What did Paul say? We looked, we saw, I read, I quoted to you in 1 Corinthians 2, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit that the surpassing power 
glory may be of power, God's power. What does the church lack today? It lacks power to witness. Why we people try have, have so many witnessing programs? Why? Because there's no power in what we share. There's no power in our words. There was power in Jesus' words. There was power in the disciples' words. There have been many others that there were power in their words. According to the working of his mighty power, well, let's see, because according to means he's measuring it by something. What's he measuring it by? Next verse. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Stop a second. He's saying that, that, that we, our eyes might be opened. We're talking about things that are in God's heart that he has prepared for his church that our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard, nor has it entered into our hearts. But they're revealed to us by the Spirit who searches the depths of God's heart and reveals them to us. And one of these we're looking at here that Paul's praying for is that God would open our eyes of our understanding, enlighten our eyes of our heart, that we might see the exceeding greatness of the power which he's given to us according to the working that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And when he raised him from the dead, he wasn't just talking about a body lying in that tomb. He's talking about a spirit that had been taken into hell and that was captivated, captured in hell, that was tormented in hell. And so when the price was paid, he sent his spirit to make the Christ who was spiritually dead, and some people get upset at that, make him spiritually alive. So he didn't just take his body and make it alive. He took his soul and his spirit and brought them back to life with a new life. And then he raised him up. He picked up his body and he ascended into heaven to do what he needed to do before the Father. And he's saying the power that he has available to the church, that's you and me, is according to or measured by the same power that he displayed but he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and then, that's important, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Keep going. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, that's the devils, the angels, and every other spiritual being, every kind of authority that they have. He raised him up and seated him far above. And every name that's named, not only in this age, so we're not just talking about the next age, but in this age and in the age which is to come. Keep going. And he put all things under his feet. So the Father put all things under the Son's feet who seated in heavenly places. We don't have time to get there tonight, but in Hebrews it talks about that we're here until his enemies have been made his footstool. That's part of the church's assignment. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Keep going. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, what religion has taught us is Christ, God sent his son, came to the earth lived here for 33 and a half years. For three and a half years, he performed miracles and marvelous things to prove that he was the son of God. That's totally unscriptural. That's what they teach us. And then at the right time, he came and he went to the cross to pay for our sins so that if we believe in him, we're going to go to heaven and see him when we get to heaven. And that's true except for the miracle part. But there's so much more. He told his disciples he was leaving them. And he was now turning over to them the same mission that he had started here and he was leaving them with the same power 
that was in him that enabled him to carry out his mission, that that power was now to be in him to confirm, because we are, we, 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 this is why I spent the last two times I taught here about, we are one with him, we are in Christ. And that is not just some figurative symbol. We are spiritually united with him. And what he's saying here, and I'm going to show you elsewhere, what he's saying here is, is he's talking about the power he used when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him far above all principality and power and everything that's named, and that, and, and, which is his body, the fullness of him, and he gave it to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In chapter 3, Paul's prayers, which we probably won't, may not get to tonight, he talks about that we may be filled with all of the fullness of of God. God wants to fill the church with himself. Not just a little dab here and a little dab here, you know, and a few goosebumps here and have a nice service over here. He wants to send us out into the world with the same power and the same anointing that was upon Christ so that we can carry him to the world in a way that the world doesn't just hear enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration and power. Years ago I did a a message called Where's the Beef? It's based on a Wendy's commercial, which is where these three older ladies have ordered a hamburger, obviously at, probably at McDonald's was the implication, and it delivers this big bun. And the big bun makes it look like there's going to be something of substance inside. But when they open it up, it's this little patty in there. And this little old lady says, Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Well, that's kind of where the church has been because we're like a big doughy bun that on the outside looks like it's full of promise, full of some meat. And when you open it up, where's the beef? Where's the power? And we all have to search for our hearts. I have to search my heart. But this is what I feel God's challenging us to, or at least challenging me. You can listen in, and I'll, you know, I'll just go where I'm going. Okay. Feels all in all. Praise God. Okay. So let's go over to Ephesians um, chapter 2. So when he's talked about how he's used this power, so he's, he's, his prayer is that the Spirit, God would give us a spirit of revelation and of knowledge of him by enlightening our heart and seeing these three things, that we would see the hope of his calling, that we would see the glory of the inheritance that we are to him, and the exceeding greatness of the power which he displayed towards us when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And then he said, uh, uh, then he said go back, I'm sorry, go back to uh, verse 22, 122. And he put all things over his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. And I know we've taught this before, but I want to I want to dwell on this a little bit. Because again, I started to say, religion tells us Jesus came, did his miracles, went to the cross, died, was raised from the dead, celebrate that on Easter, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and when we get to heaven, we're going to see him. But the Bible teaches us that when you come to Christ, you're united to him. We spent two weeks on that. And you're united to him, and that means what he is, you are, who he is, you are. That's why we're Christians little Christ. So if he's the head over the body, the church is the rest of his body. So they're one. This is what is all this talk about that Jesus does in Romans, in John 15 and John 16, John 17, that they may be one. That, That we would wake up and realize we really are one in him. And therefore, we're one with one another. And, and so, so, so whatever he is, he, he's the head, but we're the body. And I've talked to this before. Pastor Ray's taught it before. You know, I didn't, I didn't just bring my head here. I, I can't take my head somewhere and not take my body with it. Whatever my, my head comes up with what to do, but my body carries it out. So as I'm talking to you, my head's deciding what words to say because it's listening down in here, and my hands are responding to what my head says to do. 
So the, the head needs the body to accomplish its will. So Christ's will in the earth cannot be done apart from his body, and that's you and me, that's the church. So it makes no sense, it's no good for the, for the power that raised Christ from the dead to be stored just in his head and not be shared and expressed through his body. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor does it enter the hearts of men. All that God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus challenged his disciples to keep expanding. And they would have trouble learning it. So they would run across problems like the, 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 the time when they don't have enough food. And there's probably 20,000 people that have been there for three or four days. And in some accounts, Jesus asks them what they're going to do. Other accounts, they ask Jesus. But the problem is, there's only a boy's lunch. And you've got about 20,000 hungry people. Jesus wasn't flustered. Because the human mind says, we've got to go find it somewhere. We've got to figure out what... Let's get our resources together. And let's come up with a plan. How are we going to... You almost get the sense that the disciples had done some of that. Because they already knew what they had. They knew they just had a boy's lunch. So they must have been thinking about this and working on a plan. And you can almost see, I mean, Robert Morris has a great teaching on this, of how they're huddled together trying to figure out how to get Jesus in the meeting because the problem is we don't have enough food. So they're, they're, they're calculating and thinking in human terms with the human limitations. So when they come to Jesus with the problem or he raises it to them, he asks them, well, what are you going to do? And they said, well, we, only have, we don't have enough. See, that's what we do. We think because this is human reasoning aside from God's potential, we look in terms of what do we have. Well, we don't have enough. And since we don't have enough, this is how we'll decide what we can and cannot do because we want to be wise with what we have. But Jesus wanted to know what he had, what we had, so he could do something with it in God's terms. So he took what they had, which was not enough. And he holds it up to God. This is so important. And he gives thanks for what he has that's not enough. So often when we don't have enough, we're not ready to give thanks yet. What do I have to give thanks for? I don't have enough. Jesus took what he had and gave thanks for what he had, which was not enough, because he knew in God's terms all he needs is a grain of mustard seed, the seed of the size of a grain of mustard seed. See, we think, well, I don't have enough faith. The disciples, you know, he, he said, but all you need is faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. It's what you do with it, the seed, that matters, not how big it is. So he gives thanks to it, and you know the story. He handed it to the disciples, and it must have multiplied in their hands somehow. I don't know how it happened. I know that the chosen has an interesting interpretation of how that happened. But that's not the only time that happened. There was another time where only 4,000 men, 4,000 men and plus the women and children, it was the same story. They only had a little bit about Jesus gave thanks, and, he, and there was an abundance left over. God thinks in terms of abundance. God thinks in terms of exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ask or think. So they go through this whole thing, and now they get in a boat to go back to the other side, and Jesus starts to teach them about something. He said, beware of the leaven, or the yeast, of Herod and of the Pharisees. And the disciples look and realize they've only brought one loaf of bread with them. And they start getting anxious. And they start talking among themselves. And Jesus stops them and he rebukes them. He said, why are, the, he said, why are you reasoning that way? And the word reasoning is the same word that's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where it talks about reasonings that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. It's systems of thinking. It's patterns of thinking. He says, why, why, why are you thinking that way? Where were you? Weren't you there when I took the little boy's lunch and I fed 20,000 people with a little boy's lunch that was not enough? Where were you? You were there when I did the same thing for 4,000 men plus the women and children. Your reasoning still is, we don't have enough, 
because all we've got is what we see, and we're going to figure out how to divide that up among us. When, when I was first saved, I was part of a Bible study in, in Boston uh, near where I worked, and they were sweet people. I loved them. But there was a lady, and we're going through that story, and she said, well, the miracle was Jesus divided it up in enough little pieces so that 5,000 men could eat it. <laughs> I hadn't been a Christian long, but I'm saying, <laughs> that's a greater miracle. <laughs> you need to read the story, dear, because they were all full. To get men full with a little communion wafer is a miracle. But then there was 12 baskets left over. Where did they come from? But see, that thinking is, it doesn't make sense. So there's got to be some other answer, and that's human reasoning, uh, fallen reasoning. That's where man's mind has operated ever since the fall. It's within the limitations of what we can imagine and what we can understand. And that's where the disciples still were. In fact, there's good evidence that even after Jesus had been raised from the dead, they were still struggling to believe it because one of the accounts says he rebukes them as he's about to ascend into heaven because they're still not sure. Which shows you that seeing isn't always believing. So Jesus is trying to expand their thinking. And it's critical because they're going to need to think in different terms once he's left and filled them and sent the Holy Spirit. But, but their mind has to begin to be renewed to these things. And I suggest that our minds may need to be remo- removed. Yeah. <laughs> well, there may be some cases where that is true. Okay, let's go on here. Go back to Ephesians 2. And you made him to be alive, and, made, and he, and you, he made to be alive who were dead in your trespasses. So he's drawing the, the comparison between his power was able to make, take Christ from dead, not just physically, but spiritually dead, and make him alive and raise him up and seated him in heavenly places far above principalities and powers. And now he's saying, and you he made alive, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. Keep going in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted, we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's where we all came from. Verse 4 is where I wanted to get to. But God, aren't you glad but God? Aren't you glad for that little but, B-U-T? But God, and we've talked about this before, who is rich. There again, that's superlatives. He's rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loves. I love the Amplified. It says, because of and in order to satisfy the great and intense love which, which he loved us. Keep going. Even when we were dead in our uh, sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Keep going. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now here's where what we talked about before is so important. Because we're one with him. Whatever he is, we are because we're one. Wherever he is, we are because we're one. So he may be seated in heaven, but we're seated there together with him in Christ Jesus because we're one with him. When Israel left Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, there was a point in time, because it was one nation, one people, there was a point in time when some of them were already across in the wilderness. Well, let's use a better example. When they crossed the Jordan to go into the Promised Land, there was a time 
when part of Israel was already in the promised land. At that same time, there was a part of Israel that was still in the dry bed of the Jordan River, and there was a part of Israel that was still in, 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 the, in the wilderness. Because they're one people, the people in the wilderness were also in the promised land because part of them was already there. So although our bodies and our spirits are here on the earth, because we are one with him, we're one with the one we're one, the one we are one with is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities and powers. And I've used this example before. My image, and this comes from religion, used to be that in, in heaven you've got God the Father, you've got Jesus the Son sitting at the right hand, and then you've got, I don't know, John, Peter, James, Paul, one of them sitting here. I know Peter, John, and James' mother was arguing for that position, so I'm sure they didn't get it. And then down here, somebody else, and, down, and somewhere way over there is me. But that's not what it says. I'm seated next to the Father in Christ Jesus, just as much as he is seated in the Father next to Christ Jesus. Now, there's part of us that's still here, just like there was part of Israel that was still in the wilderness. But there's a part of us that's already there because Christ sees us as one, not a bunch of individuals who are still unfortunately stuck down here and someday you're going to get to join him up there. We're one with him. That's why we have access. We don't have to go somewhere to talk to him. He's come in you to talk to you. That's why we bow our heads and look down because he's in here. (laughs) You're the temple. Pastor Chris talked about this Sunday. We are the, t- the, the, the words are all over there. It's just because our mind thinks in human terms, we, we water it down. That's what the disciples did. That's what they did when Jesus said, don't you get it? When I was fed the 5,000 and the 4,000? No, they didn't. Because their mind could not, could not move, out, was having trouble moving outside the limitations of human understanding. And he was constantly challenging them to do that. And I believe he's challenging us to do that. Now, the caveat is here, you can't just walk out of here, go into Rhode Island Hospital, and start picking people up off the beds and raising them from the dead just because you chose to do something because now you're acting independent of him. See, in order for this to work, we have to be in that union, walking in that union with him. This is why, oh, this is good. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Well, fruit is producing things for the kingdom and we can only really do that when they're produced through the power of of Christ in us through the Holy, Holy Spirit. So I want to challenge us tonight to begin to be willing to let the Holy Spirit expand our understanding. When we look at the problems in our life, the situations that can look so overwhelming, and the devil's very good at making them look overwhelming to us, and we help him out because we meditate on them. We think about how big they are. We think about how, how, how long we've been struggling with it. We look at ourselves and say, I don't have the strength. I can't tell you the times lately I've, I've gotten up and some of the situations I've faced is like, I, I, Lord, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And now you drop on us what's going on in the Middle East and what's going on in the world. I, I, I can't handle all that. And his answer is, no, you can't. But I never told you to. What I told you to is be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might. Paul said, I can do all things, all things, through Christ who strengthens me. That strength isn't in heaven, and we pray and hope God sends some of that strength down. Paul makes that clear in Ephesians 3.20. According to the power, according to the power, according to the power 
that works in us. It's the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Romans 8.11 says, If that power dwells in you, then he will quicken or make alive your mortal body. I don't believe that's just talking about the resurrection. I believe that's talking about making my body alive tomorrow morning. Making it alive. Jesus said, Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might make it through and barely and get there. No, that's not what he said. I, might, I came that you may have life. That's not, there's two basic words for life in the, in the Bible. One is bio, which means, which we get biology. It's the, it's the human physical life that animals have and our bodies have. But the other word for life is zoe, which means life at the level that God lives it. It's a life, it's the, it's the, it's that, it's that life of Christ that's in you through the Holy Spirit. And, and he wants us to live in that all the time. So we get up in the morning and we're just ready to go because that life is in us. And we're so cluttered down with problems and we're down with problems. But, but, but see, when you begin to have his mind, his mentality towards things, Jesus didn't look at problems. He didn't look at the challenges in terms of human terms, but in terms of what his father enabled him to do. And that's what we're talking about. So we need to learn to look at the problems not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. How big is it to him? How big is what you're facing to him in terms of what he can do? Well, I know he can do it, but I don't know if, I don't know if he will. Well, that's up to you whether you'll believe it or not. Because these are all according to him that believes. It's all those, each one of those has a condition according to him that believes and I'm learning that that's, that may not refer to, well, I'm a believer because I'm a Christian. No, I'm beginning to believe it means I believe what that promise is. Because Jesus was always challenging their faith and rebuking them when their faith was so small because he could not understand. I really believe Jesus could not comprehend unbelief because he knew his father's nature and character. He knew his father's ability because he spent time with him, because he, he was abiding with the Father and his word was abiding, was abiding in him. It goes on, I don't know that they have this verse, the next verse is that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus then the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We're living in a time when the world just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And, 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 and it, it may get far worse than this. I don't know. There are different views on this, but I want to be prepared. It may get far worse than this. But how are we going to look at that? Are we going to look at what's getting worse and wring our hands and go... So the other thing is we, we meditate on what's wrong. We meditate on the problem. And then, and then we, we, we speak the problem. So people, how are you doing? Well, you don't know what's going on in my life. And I, I've, I've, I'm guilty of the same thing. You don't know what's going on in my life. This is going on and this is going on and this is going on. And this is going on. While I'm doing that, I'm building my faith in what's wrong. And then wonder why I'm weak. I never, you never once hear Jesus said, oh, I don't know what we're going to do here. My goodness, those people, let me, let me go fa- pray and fast for a while. And f- I don't know, have any idea what we're going to do here. He had total confidence. He's standing at Lazarus' tomb. Man's been in the grave four days. His sister's worried it's going to stink when they roll the, to- the, the tomb, because the, they didn't, it's going to stink when they roll the stone away. And Jesus looks up and says, Father, I thank you. This is this confidence that you always hear me when I pray. That you always hear me when I pray. You notice in most of those cases, Jesus doesn't talk to the Father and say, Father, would you heal this man's blind eyes? He doesn't say, Father, would you heal this man's deaf ears? He spoke to the eyes, he spoke to the ears. 
And then he taught his disciples to speak to things. We speak to things, but not in faith. We speak to things that that's never going to work. That's never going to happen for me. We speak that unbelief. And we've got to realize those words are powerful. Because there's somebody, there's, there's at least two that always hear your words like that. The devil hears, but more importantly, you hear your own words. And your words are building faith in whatever you're speaking. So you're either building faith in what God's can do through you, or you're building faith in what the devil's telling you he's going to do to you and through you. Let's pray. Father, we've heard a lot tonight. And I pray for all of us exactly what the Apostle Paul prayed, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would see the hope of your calling in all of these things for which you called us in in Christ Jesus. Father, that the Spirit would take the things that you have in your heart for each one of us. First of all, repent of the ways we've limited you. Your word says that Israel limited the Holy One of Israel. Your word says in Psalm 81, the things that you wanted to do for them, but you, they, they wouldn't let you do for them because of their unbelief. And Father, we're at a day and an hour when it's so critical that your church rises up and becomes strong and carries out our assignment here in this earth. Not just in enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration and power of your spirit. So, Father, we ask you for each one of us tonight that you open the eyes of our understanding and give to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you in all these things that we've left tonight. And for these we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening.